Hey everyone, welcome to the Restoring Rapport podcast. My name is Seth Hensley and this is a podcast about reclaiming the place of priority relationship is providentially intended to hold in your life. You know, we live in a world where community is far too often pushed to the back burner in favor of less important things, but the good news is that it doesn't have to stay this way. As believers, we have the choice to prioritize connection in our life every day and to live face-to-face with God and people. In this show, I'll be number one, sharing research which supports the importance of relationship, number two, giving you tools to help you improve your interpersonal connections, and number three, sharing writings that I have done in the past on the importance of community. It is my sincere hope that the content presented in this podcast equips you to better serve and love others. To access my past and future articles, subscribe to my YouTube channel, or purchase a copy of my books, visit homeschoolerponderings.blogspot.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 20 of the Restoring Rapport podcast. I'm super excited for the episode that I've got planned out for you today. Unfortunately, it is not an interview. Um, I'm looking to line up as many of those as I can soon, but for today, I'm going to do a solo episode, and I'm going to be summarizing and reading a little bit of an article that I just recently published on my blog. Um, I published it on the 4th of August, 2021, and it is an article... um, kind of really an argumentative piece on why why getting married young should not be dismissed from consideration um and practice for the for this young generation coming up um and i also for the first time i've done a survey to support what i'm arguing in for this story so i've interviewed couples who have chosen to get married young during their teen years and um specifically asked them what are the things that you believe you have gotten out of this that nobody else could get um, if they chose another route in life? So I'm excited to read you their responses, first of all, um, and read you all of that. But before I get into the episode, I just wanted to say that the episode, the podcast episodes have been less um, coming out less often because this summer I am actually in a relationship. So for those of you who don't know, um, on this show, we talk a lot about prioritizing relationship so I would be the world's largest hypocrite if I did not prioritize my relationship and instead made a bunch of podcast episodes. So that is why I have not put out as many episodes this summer as you would think. Um, but it's, I don't know, I don't regret it. Um, doing great. So yeah, I will put them out as often as I can. Um, in addition, school is resuming in the fall, so that will also cloud my schedule. But I'm really excited to be here today with you guys, and um, thank you so much for listening in from wherever you're at, you know, working out on a walk, um, cleaning house, you know, commuting to work, wherever you're listening. Thank you for choosing this show to listen to out of all that you could have listened to. And without further ado, I'm going to get into my reading. <clears throat> if a 19-year-old young man came up to you and told you that he's going to get married before the year is out, what would your reaction be? If a young woman in college were to tell you that she's engaged to be married before she gets her degree, what would your face say? For many of us, the answer to both questions is that we would certainly respond with surprise and possibly, depending on how well we know the person, with dutiful dissuasion. But is this really our job? In fact, when it comes right down to it, is it even a good thing to encourage young people to postpone marriage into the late 20s? Society today has a very specific formula to be followed for individuals who wish to get married. First comes the completion of a high school First comes the completion of high school and the acquisition of a GED or equivalent. Then comes the search for a field and the pursuit of a four-year college degree or the less smiled upon a vocational school education. Now comes the entrance of the 
socially labeled mature and mature in quotes adult into the workplace of his or her choice. Finally, after all these steps have been taken, culture labels an individual ready for marriage. And here I'm kind of outlining, um, I'm setting up the the premise that we have today that young people shouldn't get married because I think it has been stigmatized for whatever reason. Um, a long time ago, people used to get married young pretty often. It wasn't even, um, you know, considered abnormal. But today, if anybody marries before they're 20, um, that's considered very young and often often we, we we try to, as I said earlier, maybe uh, backpedal them off of that or give them advice that would um, kind of counter that um, desire that they have. So just listen to the rest of the article. And um, as always, message me on social media and let me know what you think about the work. Um, I love hearing what you guys think. It's really encouraging. And I love the discussion as always. So that, um, let's see, where am I at? Uh, but what if this formula isn't actually ideal? What if marriage in the mid to late 20s wasn't what God had in mind? Young people who don't wish to follow this model are often seen as suicidals who need to be talked back from the edge of a 30-story building with a megaphone. Youths who wish to get married young are often portrayed as unprepared for the realities of marriage, starstruck with honeymoonies, or suffering from outright delusion. But what if youthful marriage isn't always a skinny dip into the freezing waters of debt, unpreparedness, and poverty? What if the choice to marry young can actually be a good informed decision with several benefits? And then here I go into actually talking about, you know, you might not have a problem with getting married young, but you might wonder what the benefit is. What's the appeal of getting married young? What does it offer that, you know, marriage in the mid to late 20s does not? Which, by the way, for those of you who don't know, the national average as of right now is the, the highest it's ever been for marriage. For women, it's 27. For men, it's 29. That's the average age. And that is... um you know, unbelievably higher than it was in 1960. In 1960, the average age of marriage for women was 20, and the average age of marriage for men was 23. So it's gone up about seven years. Seven years, guys, in, you know, 70 years or so. 60 years, I guess. That's a long time. Um, and it's something that I honestly find concerning, um, because obviously I'm a huge marriage advocate. Um, I say that all the time. I think marriage is just such a great thing. So I think we need to pay attention to things when they arise like that. Um, these are the responses that I got from the couples that I interviewed in the survey. Uh, they were all given the same prompt, the same question, and that was, quote, what is or are the biggest benefits you have received from getting married young? End quote. And their unedited responses are as followed. I'm going to summarize them and um, point out the common threads in each response because some of the responses are longer and I don't want to read them all on the show. Um but they're really good. I would highly encourage you guys to uh, go to the article and read this article, especially the responses that I got from for this survey. Um, they, I got four of them, and they're from four different couples who at least one of them was in their teen years when they got married, I believe. And it, they just, there's just so much good stuff in there. And it's really neat. I highlighted the, the parallels so you can see the same, like many of them gave me the same benefits, even though, you know, they were different couples, which was really encouraging because if all of these couples are are experiencing these benefits, that means that it's probably a universal thing, a universal benefit of getting married young. So I think that that speaks to the nature of the article. So I would highly encourage you guys to check that out. Um, And I'm going to highlight some parallels here for you. Several of them listed financial benefits as reasons to get married young, um, scholarships that they could have that they would not otherwise be able to get. 
um, it changes how they and how they file their taxes, making good decisions together, holding each other accountable when it came to spending money, that kind of thing. Um, several of them gave ministry as a reason um, that they that getting married young benefited them because they were able to um, decide together on the the calling for their life and actually lean on each other throughout that process. Um, let's see. Two of them said that um, they would have more time together. So more time than the average couple would have, say, a couple got married to 27, 29, the, the national average, they're only going to have, you know, assuming they live a long life, you know, at most like 60 or 70 years together. Whereas, you know, if you get married at 18, you're going to have quite, you're going to have a lifetime, almost a lifetime of uh, spending time and getting to know your, your life partner. And I think uh, two of them listed that as a, a, a benefit. Um, another benefit that was brought up several times in couples three and four was um, growing up together as opposed to separate. So, you know, a lot of people think that you have to be grown up, you know, in the past tense before you get married. And these these two couples actually listed growing up together, um, like growing up in process when, with one another, continuing to grow even after they're married. They listed that as a benefit of getting married um, young. Another thing that was listed by two couples as well is having each other to lean on in times of difficulty. Um, one of them said, quote, you have someone to stand by and support you through life's trials. Navigating all the changes that come in your early 20s can be really challenging. Having having somebody to help carry the load makes it so much easier, end quote. Um, I, I thought that would just really help close to home because, I mean, a lot of those challenges in the early 20s that they're talking about, I'm actually going through. And I can assure you that going through a solo is infinitely, you know, worse than I would imagine. Well, I haven't experienced marriage, but I would imagine it is worse than going through it with a life partner. So that's just something to consider as well. Another thing that was mentioned is, let's see up here, family. Um, you know, not having to worry about time constraints, um, you know, or time pressure as, you know, when menopause kicks in. Um, just having all the time in the world to, if you want to have a season where, you know, pre-children of just you and your spouse, you are not rushed in that. If you get married, you know, at 18, you have, you have quite a bit of time before, you know, you're 40. Um, and all the, there's just so many more, um, that I wish I had time to go through, but I, I would highly encourage you guys to check them out. Those, those responses were really amazing. Um, once again, thank you to all those couples who, who did that. Um, I'm not going to actually give the names just because I don't know who wants to be anonymous and who doesn't. I did um, tell them that I would not, you know, you know, post their name online through a, through a, on the air or a digital platform or something. So, hi guys, I just wanted to take a quick break and tell you about a few opportunities that you have as listeners to support this show. Number one, you can rate and review this podcast. Every rating and review I get helps promote my podcast on distribution sites. If you haven't already done so, it takes 30 seconds to leave a five-star rating and a written review. Number two, you can become a financial supporter of this podcast with a monthly contribution. Just scroll to the bottom of the show notes found in the description of each week's episode and click on the link labeled support this podcast. Many, many thanks to all my past and future supporters, and I hope you guys enjoy the rest of this episode. On with the article, quote, from the married perspective, from the unmarried perspective, sorry, getting married also comes with benefits in the realm of sexuality. As an unmarried male, I can directly address these in detail. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul addresses both the married and the unmarried concerning sexual relations. To the unmarried, he explicitly states that though it is good to remain unmarried, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. If believers took this advice to heart, they should have no issue with people getting married young. 
If we truly wish to help young people deal with their sexual drives in a healthy way, we cannot say that getting married young is always a bad idea. In today's world, by postponing marriage into the 20s, we've created an environment inhospitable to God's original design for sexuality. Might I suggest to you that one of the reasons we're seeing sexual dysfunction within the church's young populace is that we are creating a world that goes directly against Paul's advice, a world where young people are discouraged from getting married young, or from getting married until long after they begin to burn with passion. We are profoundly delusional if we expect young believers to somehow avoid reoccurring sexual struggle from the time of puberty, approximately 13 years old, until the time they reach their mid to late 20s. That's over 10 years, guys. It's over 10 years. Um, I really think it makes no sense for us to expect uh, young... Actually, not expect. Expect is the wrong word. I think it's a bad idea for us to set them up for that. I think we're setting them up for failure, um, as I say in a minute here. Um, but... By expecting young people to live without any form of sexual activity for this prolonged period of time, we are setting them up for moral failure and ensuring years of moral struggle. And I'm not saying that we, you know, at 13, 12 or 13, that should be, you know, just don't allow any period where temptation could gain a foothold. That's not what I'm saying, because I think you can learn how to handle yourself, um, you know, during those periods of, of, uh, of struggle. I think that some good things can come out of struggle, but I think prolonging it for as long as we do is absolutely foolish. I think it's foolish and ridiculous and we're not being, we're not, we're not, um, catering to God's design. We're, we're just charging ahead and doing whatever society dictates. And that's not right. That's not right. Um, so let's see, we are placing young people close to the fire rather than urging them into the arms of a fireproof union. Paul, well, let's see, Paul, Paul rolls in his grave. To see this young generation of young believers attempting to spend their, an entire decade of their lives resisting their God-given sexual urges rather than embracing marriage as the intended outlet for their passions. I'm not, I am not suggesting that marriage removes sexual temptation from the equation, but that it changes the struggle for uprightness from an impossible battle of suppression into a winnable battle of appropriate expression. I would argue that it is more difficult for one to go without sexual sexual intimacy entirely than it is for one to stay loyal to one person in the way that spouses stay loyal to one another. In the same way that Jesus was willing and able to endure the cross for the joy set before him in Hebrews 12.2, young men and women are better able to endure sexual struggle when they have a treasure to, to protect. As an unmarried male, I can personally attest that the times in my life when I have treasured the heart of a woman are the times when I have been able to walk most uprightly in the realm of sexuality. So I'm not just saying this as like, you know, a thought exercise that I've thought out. This is actually my experience. This is definitely my experience right here. Uh, one of my favorite authors paints a beautiful picture illustrating this principle. If a young man dying of thirst in the desert came across a bowl of toilet water, he'd be likely to drink it. Regardless of its unclean nature, due to his desperate situation, it would likely appeal to him. But if a man living in safety and comfort were presented with a bowl of toilet water, he would turn it down without hesitation or reservation in, pure, in favor of pure water. Those individuals who have the tasteful water of sexual intimacy within the context of marriage will be less likely than their unmarried peers to seek out the toilet water of sexual immorality to quench their thirst. Because they have the real thing, guys. The, the, way, the way distortions work is they find it very difficult to get a foothold when you actually have the genuine God-given need met. When you're starving, that's when you're weak. When Jesus was starving, that's when the devil came to him in the desert because that's when you're at your weakest point. That's when you are at the most vulnerable state. 
is when you do not have your needs met. So when you do not have your needs met, um, all you're, you're, you're susceptible to struggle. You're susceptible to um, attack more than you would be if you actually put create a strong defense for yourself, which I would argue marriage is for the young believer. Where was I? Um, the desert of singleness does not provide any healthy relief options when it comes to sexual drive and instead offers only the stagnant and polluted waters of masturbation, pornography, and hookup culture. The oasis of marriage offers true satisfaction to human sexual desire. When young people have no opportunity for the refreshing water of married sex, they are more likely to consume unhealthy water when it is presented to them in their arid situation. And I kind of go on and on about this, just reinforcing this point. Um, it is difficult for sexual dysfunction to find a foothold where healthy sexuality makes its home. Conversely, it is very easy for, for sexual dysfunction to find its way into the life of he who has no treasure to protect and no woman to be loyal to. You know, Paul, later in that same 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul flatly points out um, that, you know, sexual dysfunction is invited by the absence of healthy sex within the context of marriage, but the principle carries over into singleness. It's the same exact thing. Um, and here's some other, in this section of the article, I actually go through seven arguments against youthful marriage, and I, I explain why each of them should not um, be reasons to, uh, you know, rule out getting married young as a viable option. <clears throat> the first argument that I've heard against getting married young is the maturity argument, which says you are not ready to get married. Of all the arguments against youthful matrimony, this one has the potential to make most sense. <laughs> However, the common reasoning behind its use does not. It is often suggested that youths are not ready for marriage because they are not capable of being mature enough to embrace the inevitable responsibilities and challenges that marriage entails. That marriage entails. This is not the case. Many years ago, there was once a young boy named David Farragut who served in the U.S. Navy aboard the frigate Essex under the captainship of David Porter. Unlike the other crewmen, young Farragut had the privilege of calling Porter not only his captain but his father. Porter had befriended and adopted young Farragut at a very young age, and they served alongside one another in the War of 1812. Their ship captured so many British vessels that young Farragut was put in charge of a prize ship at only 12 years old and given the title prize master before he had even entered his teen years. That's unbelievable, guys. This guy is 12 years old, and he is responsible for an entire ship. He captains a crew, and we believe that teenagers are not capable of you know marriage because they struggle to make their bed i mean this this is what i'm anyway, i'm just going to read the article here youths with the guidance and wisdom of a knowledgeable mentor are capable of so much more than we think to quote one speaker the modern notion of to quote one speaker quote the modern notion of adolescence the one that rules our society today expects young people to be immature and irresponsible that is the myth of adolescence End quote. now am i saying that because one boy in the 1800s was capable of bearing the burden of a crew that all 17 year olds are capable of handling the realities and challenges of marriage no i am not in fact today they're often not and therein lies the element of truth for this argument against young marriage. A lot of times, teenagers are simply not ready to get married, but young adults are also capable of much more than we assign them. Just because society says that it's impossible for a 17-year-old to shoulder the weight of marriage does not make it so. If we expect nothing of teenagers, they will meet our expectations. If we believe them capable of things, they are capable of great things. 
Even the mother of Jesus is believed to have married and given birth at a young age. If God believed Mary capable of marriage and childbirth during her teen years, who is to say that young marriage is not, or who is to say that young marriage is an undesirable road for other people to travel? You know, many people, many believers today seem to have forgotten that when it came to the raising and rearing of his ageless presence and human form, the Creator chose a young woman, not an established businesswoman pro- approaching thirty, to be his mother and the wife of his earthly earthly father. Argument two, the financial argument. You need to wait until you're financially independent. This argument is uh, the echo of a foundational American philosophy that I would say is wrong. As I've written and spoken about in many other places, independence should not be a supreme value in our life. As humans, we are designed to be interdependent on one another, relying on one another, needing one another, and giving to one another. When the goal of a couple... When the goal of a married couple becomes financial separation from family, we are missing out on the fundamental principle of integrated multi-generational living. You know, consciously or unconsciously, believers in recent years have reinforced the American value of in- hyper-independence as it relates to marriage by citing Genesis 2.24 as evidence that a man and woman who wish to be married should be financially capable of supporting themselves. It is a widely held belief within mainstream Christianity that married individuals should not live with their parents and should instead develop their own livelihoods and estates, completely independent from mom and dad. While this philosophy no doubt originated from a noble desire to protect parents from children who might prove unwilling to contribute and has doubtless served its purpose in shielding the parents from offspring who would choose to be a leech on their parents' pocketbook rather than a blessing, I would argue that the stereotypical leave-and-cleave philosophy has done more harm than good. You know, many of you have probably heard the, the um, a man shall leave his mother and cling to his wife in the context of <clears throat> um, the change, the shift that happens at the, at the point of marriage. Um, and I'm going to get into actually what that verse is talking about here, um, but it is not suggesting, you know, financial separation which no makes no sense from a business standpoint um it is not suggesting that as a necessity for getting married um let me see here where was i at um okay now am i saying that young people should be financially unprepared when they get married no but i'm suggesting that living under the same roof as your parents is not irresponsible Combining incomes with your parents is not being a leech, and being involved in family affairs as a couple is not being clingy. Moving out has not always been considered a prerequisite for marriage. Dr. Dan Allender, professor of counseling psychology and founder of the Allender Center, points out in an interview that leaving father and mother and cleaving to wife does not primarily mean geographic or financial separation from parents. He asserts that in ancient times, families lived together and their agricultural work was bound together. It would make no sense, in other words, for them to move out. Um, <clears throat> Allender argues that the phrase a man must leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife refers primarily to an emotional separation necessary for the development of a healthy marriage bond, a process by which a person's utmost place of priority is transferred from caregiver to life partner. In other words, Leaving and cleaving means making your spouse your number one instead of your parents your number one, as has been the case in the past. And I would say that's the way God set it up. Um, and when when we don't do, when we don't treat, when we don't prioritize people in that order as God designed, we're, we're asking for dysfunction. 
Um, so it's not it, it, that, that that saying there that once after the, after the period of marriage begins, your 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 spouse now takes precedence over your parents is what that's saying. Um, to use the phrase "leave and cleave" to support the idea that children should leave the home after marriage is to misinterpret a scriptural passage referring to the bonding process between man and wife. The reality is that rather than value the expansion of multi generational homes. Homes housing grandparents, children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, Americans in recent years have opted for the convenience of micro-families. Families could be developing into dynasties with each marital union, growing in strength with each new birth, but instead we're choosing to financially start over with each generation, booting children from the house to start from scratch the second they're married. Marriages are seen not as a gain for the tribe, but as a cue for familial and geographic division. In this respect, modern marriages, modern marriages are more akin to familial divorces than expansive unions. If you think about it, guys, marriages is really, we treat them as a cue for separation. You know, a, a reset button instead of building on, you know, the, the floor of our parents, which hopefully rests above the floor of their parents we're just starting over which makes no sense financially you know generationally does not make sense inheritance is in other words is barely a thing um we just because we just start over and build up from scratch and we don't have as much inheritance to give to our children because we're always starting over just some thoughts on that um but maybe this isn't the way Maybe by moving out of their childhood home and starting from the ground floor, just as their parents did, married couples are shooting not only themselves, but their family in the foot. After all, once a family has successfully raised and produced a child who is now married, why would it evict a member who is now capable of co contributing to family matters more than ever before through additional income and member expansion? By keeping its married children in the vicinity, a family is capable of exponentially growing in relational and material prosperity if its members, both married and unmarried, are willing to contribute and work as a team. And with reference to my first point, young married people are completely capable of being contributors. The third argument is the stability argument. You need to get your career going first. There are two reasons that, reasons that this argument is used to dissuade people from getting married young. The first reason is that concerned parents who wish to protect their children from experiencing the financial instability and hardship of early marriage, which, with reference to my last point, is brought on by generational financial resets, often urge their children to develop stable careers before tying the knot. By this reasoning, marriage in the late 20s is often the earliest possible opportunity. Kids have had no time to develop a stable career before they're 25. You know, that's the earliest possible stage by the time you can have, you know, a, you know, a very... Uh, cushy you know stable income is you know by the time you're 25 most of the time unless you know you're a millionaire or you come up with some genius patent or something um <clears throat> let's see where was i at the second reason one of a more sinister nature is that culture values material success above above relational wealth to those who would encourage young people to postpone marriage out of concern for their financial well-being i would simply say this should it not be possible for young married people to rely on the integral support of either in-laws, it cannot be denied that getting married before entering the season of financial prosperity comes with challenges, hard ones. Every life decision comes with difficulties. Getting married young is simply to choose the difficulties of tight finances over the difficulties of remaining unmarried. This choice, I believe, is a sound one. To those who would encourage young people to postpone marriage simply because they believe climbing the hierarchical status ladders of society is more important than pursuing marriage, 
I would say that a more serious evaluation of values is called for. Marriage is the most successful thing that you can do with your life. Firstly, because it is, there is no place where a deeper impression can be made into the soul of another person. And secondly, because it is the place where the deepest form of service and love is possible. Jesus demonstrates this principle beautifully to us in coming to earth, not to acquire material wealth, but to give his all for his bride. And um, if you'd like to read a verse about, um, you know, the church being compared to the bride of Christ, you can read that in Revelation 19.7. It's very clear throughout scripture that Jesus is pursuing a bride, and that bride is the church. Um, the individualistic argument, which says you won't be able to get to get married or have or you won't be able to have fun anymore, um, is often used to to uh, you know deter young people from getting married. <clears throat> Firstly, this argument incorrectly assumes that married life is not capable of producing more fun than single life. There are couples who, based on their own poor marital experience, take the position that marriage is a miserable situation. These couples often seem to think that the problem with marriage lies in the institution itself rather than their approach to it, and they take every opportunity to absolve themselves of personal responsibility for the nuptial mess of their life, suggesting to young years that it is better to seize the fun of detached singleness than to choose the rewarding road of marriage. Such sad people are like the imprudent crew of a wrecked ship who, after setting sail with leaky vessel, poor direction, little savvy, and no guidance, shout back to the docks that men are not meant to sail on the water. This is not to say that, you know, I'm not saying here that marriage is smooth sailing, but I'm saying that it is possible and joyous when done correctly, as is evidenced by all the amazing marriages that I have around me in my life. It is possible, it is worth it, and they will tell you that. For reasons I've discussed elsewhere, modern society encourages the individual to live his best life above all else and to have fun whatever the cost. This idea stands in bold opposition to the message of Jesus, which unyieldingly encourages individuals to sacrifice, serve, and exist with other people regardless of personal limitation. One author sums up the message of Jesus beautifully in this way, quote, You have a life so that you can invest it in other people. In Emmanuel, God with us, we see a man who chose to give up his life in every way possible in order to preserve connection, even to the point of literally giving up his life. The life of Jesus did not consist of living it up in the nearest city to Nazareth, nor did it consist of being carried to the top of society by the crowds that often followed him. Instead, he chose to live a life radically connected to God and his people. Jesus' message of community and restored connection is in direct opposition to the philosophy of modern culture which, which states that the happiness of the isolated individual should come first. Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this than he, than he, that he lay down his life for his friends. End quote. Yet according to one speaker, we live in a culture where we are eagerly careful to lay down our friends for our life. Despite any protestations or denials that we might make, our furtive attempts to achieve personal gratification at any cost indicate our belief that having fun is more important than building lasting relationships. Those who encourage young, the young people to postpone marriage on the basis that they will no longer be able to have that they will no longer be able to have fun are firstly assuming that marriage is a bore, and secondly assuming that personal enjoyment is more valuable than lasting relationship. Five, the uniformity argument. What about your college experience? I'll summarize this one just briefly. Um, I, I use a couple, a YouTube couple here who, you know, was counseled before they got married young that they would not be able to have their college experience, their quote unquote college experience if they got married young. And they basically say that that's not a valid argument because who's to say that everyone's college experience um, has to be the exact same way. 
um, you know, what, and, and further, if, if we recreate the same college experience for the rest of history, if everybody does the same thing over and over in their college years, we're never going to discover anything better. <clears throat> we're just going to, um, you know, do the same thing over and over and over and over, and we're not going to get anywhere. That's not how growth happens. Repeating the past is not how growth happens. We learn from the good parts of the past and we make improvements. We develop that. That's how families grow. That's how relationships grow. That's how marriages grow. That's how everything grows. So to say that we should have the same college experience, everybody should, is is absolutely ridiculous. Um, also, the singleness argument, um, which says, don't you want to enjoy your season of singleness? Um, here's what I say in response to that. It is commonly held viewpoint within mainstream Christianity that young people should enjoy their season of singleness. While this thought originates from a desire to help people enjoy their life and be content with each season, as a culture, we've presented singleness in such a warm light that we've lulled Generation Z into a level of comfort with their life that is preventing them from moving towards what most of them are intended for, and that is marriage. Our, mis our misrepresentation of the single season flows from the fact that we have misconstrued its nature and purpose. The purpose of the singleness season is not what we what, what we have made it out to be as a time of fun. Contrary to the message of mainstream Christianity today, singleness is not a time of self-indulgence, self-contentedness, coasting through life without care, responsibility, or thought about marriage. Ideally, it should be a time of preparation for marriage, where those within its tributaries spend their time develop, developing themselves into relational beings and healthy spouses. It is during this time of transformation and growth that we are designed to experience the pain, hunger, hunger for intimacy necessary to reveal to us our need for a lifelong partner. For all people excluding those with a supernatural charisma for remaining alone, singleness should not be comfortable. It should not be comfortable. And I feel like we've made singleness so comfortable for people today, you know, through various means, worldly or otherwise, or good, you know, um, holy or secular. We've made that so comfortable for them. You know, all the people saying, it's fine, sweetheart. You don't have to, um, you don't have to be working towards that at all. You can just sit back and wait and it will fall in your lap because in life, you don't have to work for things. They just fall right into your lap. <laughs> um, that's often the, the holy, what we consider the, you know, the Christian argument for enjoying singleness, the secular argument for enjoying singleness would be, you know, you have no need for getting married because everything that you have in marriage, you can somehow get met in some, um, you know, maybe less than way, but you can still get the need met in some other way through, you know, anything that culture offers, um, which is also false. You're not going to reap the, the, the health benefits of, of marriage if you don't get actually married. Um, let's see. Um, it's, it, singleness is providentially and designed to be uncomfortable for a reason. It is a time of dissatisfaction so that young people are more incentivized to pursue that which what they are intended for rather than settling into the shallow comforts of their life as a single person. You know, if we want our teenagers to start developing their character and, you know, getting up off the couch, why don't we give them a reason to like, why don't we give them the target of marriage instead of, you know, like, um, just removing their target and then they ha they're not incentivized to develop their own character. And finally, we have the procrastination argument. Why get married now when you can later? That's what the procrastination argument says. In short, the answer to this question is that by getting married young or is that getting married young is desirable because it enables you to spend more time with your spouse. In one of her posts, blogger Mary-Kate Robertson, who many of you may know through her connection to John Luke Robertson, son of uh, Willie Robertson, who started kind of the Duck Dynasty, along with his, uh, you know, family 
they're, they have kind of an integrated family. They are, they're all involved, but that's where you, her ma- name may sound familiar. Um, she writes that um, she really enjoys her, her experience of being married young. And her parents, who, who were married at 32 and 39, wish they would have gotten married younger. You know, while acknowledging that, mar- that getting married young also comes with challenges, her article beautifully illustrates that getting married young enables individuals to spend more years of their finite lives together rather than separate. In other words, the couples who marry at 18 will likely enjoy more years together than the couples who marry at 27 and 29, which is the national average. Getting married young also places less time pressure on couples who wish to have children, enabling them more joyous years without children together before menopausal pressure begins to arise. Getting married young also decreases the likelihood that a child will be born outside the protective walls of a wedlock. And as I've said, many other places, the safest place for a child to be born is in the context of a healthy marriage that's the only that's the that's the safest place for them um the fact that it matters is that every minute of your adult life that you wait to marry is a minute of your life that you are not sharing with your life partner while some might be content with this arrangement i would argue that those who would rather spend as much of their life as possible with their mate are perfectly within reason and soundness of value to do so at, at best the procrastination argument prevents young people from rushing into rash, rash decisions at worst it perpetuates the the already widespread idea that marriage is not a joyous way to spend your life and should be postponed for as long as society dictates. And now my, the conclusion of my article is very short, which I'll just go ahead and read it to you. For one reason or another, each of these arguments have the common thread of urging young people to be ready, quote-unquote, before tying the knot. And while this concern is valid, I do, and I do not wish to diminish the importance of preparation, I do, do believe there is an element of truth to the argument that one can never be wholly ready for marriage, and that a better question for young people might be, quote, are you willing to embrace the challenges of youthful marriage for the sake of one another and the benefits that getting married young offers, end quote. When I read the gospel, observing Jesus' emphasis on trust, when I examine my own life, reflecting on the many times I've had to step out in faith like Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. When I look back into history, recalling the many times unprepared people have flourished in meager situations, I don't see a God who requires mastery of one level before entrance into another. Instead, I see a God who designed humanity to f- learn and flourish while out of our depth. Perhaps it is through the act of faith displayed by young hearts stepping into lifelong covenant that a truly unique place of growth is made possible and that is the end of my article guys i really hope you've enjoyed um just the writing i try to make it sound as poetically beautiful as i possibly can because i know arguments can get boring and i do not want my arguments to get boring i do like writing them but i i also really appreciate um more more beautiful styles of writing than arguments generally offer so i want to keep you guys um i want to keep it pleasant sounding to the ear so, um, as always, let me know what you thought of today's ep- episode. Um, if you disagreed with it, let me know what you disagreed with. Um, most, a lot of people that listen to the show have way more experience than I do in all these areas. So, obviously, whatever you're going to say probably has more weight than what I do. <laughs> um, if you disagree with me, though, I would encourage you to check out the sources that I have listed at the bottom. I'm not just spouting stuff off. I believe what I believe for a reason. And those sources are the reason. They're listed at the bottom of every article. Um, check those out if you would like, if you think they, they would be interesting. Um, another thing, we're the remember to follow the Restoring Our Poor podcast on Instagram. We post quotes regularly pertaining to marriage and family therapy. Um, 
follow us on there and remember to like and subscribe or not like and subscribe i'm used to youtube remember to subscribe to the show and leave a, a written review that helps more people find the show and um the more people that find the show the more people the the quicker we grow so thank you guys so much for listening and i will talk to you next time